We have uh, just recently finished up a, a series that walked us through some of the shocking sayings of Jesus. And for about the last month and a half, we've opened our, our eyes and our ears and our hearts uh, to some of the teachings of Jesus that for many people um, made it difficult to follow him. People back in his time when they first heard those things, and even people today. Uh, I've noticed over the years that Jesus, he comes on the scene and he begins to challenge the things that people think about and believe about all kinds of things, about God, about the world, about religion, about relationships, about you name it, you fill in the blank. And, and Jesus comes onto the scene and he challenges the way we think. And our recent series took us on this journey through some of those difficult teachings and brought us right through the calendar weeks of this year to today, one week before Easter, Palm Sunday. And for our time together today, it, it, it's only natural, I think, that we spend some time and focus on the themes surrounding Palm Sunday. Um, and in one of the main biblical texts that tells that story, uh, you can turn in your Bibles today, whether you have that book in your hands or if you have it electronically. Uh, you can even go to the Bible through our Nova Church app if you want to find it that way. But turn to Matthew chapter 21, and our main text for today is going to be Matthew chapter 21, the first 10 verses, verses 1 through 10. And I'm going to read that for us in our service today. Matthew 21, verses 1 through 10. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them, and he will send them right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to daughter Zion, See, your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey, and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. And when Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this? Who is this? That's God's word from Matthew chapter 21. And I want to take just a couple of moments as we begin to set the stage just a little bit. This passage from Scripture describes what has become to be known as the triumphal entry, as we call it. All four gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, all of them include this story in their narrative about Jesus in their gospel. Our text, of course, comes from Matthew. And for Matthew, this is a pivotal point in the ministry of Jesus. You might even say that his entire gospel has been building up to this moment, the Messiah entering Jerusalem on what we call Palm Sunday. And Matthew has an important idea that runs throughout his gospel. It's this idea of the kingdom. And the word kingdom itself, it appears 54 times throughout the book of Matthew. This is something that's important to him and to his narrative about Jesus. And if we back up just a little bit from our passage, 
uh, earlier into the book of Matthew, we can see a, a couple things that help set the stage. The first one is all the way back in Matthew chapter 1. Matthew begins his gospel, if you remember, with the genealogy of Jesus. Before he gives the story of Jesus' birth, he goes into great detail to show that Jesus comes from the line of David, a kingly lineage. And you may remember, on a little side note, that there had been a promise to always have a king on the throne in Israel that came from the line of David. That's how Matthew begins. And in chapter 1, verse 1, Matthew even gives us the first messianic title attributed to Jesus in the New Testament by calling him the son of David. So that's one thing I think that can help set the stage for Matthew's narrative. A second thing, in the account of Jesus' birth, Matthew reveals something uh, in the question from the Magi. If you remember the Magi or the wise men, they come looking for Jesus and they go to King Herod. And they ask King Herod, where is the one who has been born the king of the Jews? That's their specific question. Where is the one who has been born the king of the Jews? Matthew 2, verse 2. Another thing that's interesting is after the baptism of Jesus in Matthew's narrative, and after his temptation in the desert, Matthew moves on to record that Jesus begins to preach. And the first thing that Matthew writes that Jesus begins to preach is this, in chapter 4, verse 17. From that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. For Matthew, this idea of kingdom is important. And here we are now in chapter 21 of his gospel as he is recounting what we call the triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem on this day known as Palm Sunday. And as Jesus enters Jerusalem and as Matthew records these details, he notes that the whole city was stirred and is asking, who is this? In chapter 21, verse 10, as we read. And today we're going to delve into some ideas from our gospel writer, Matthew, to see just who it is that Matthew is saying Jesus is. And first, we need to explore what I'm calling the destination. In taking a look at the de destination, the, the immediate context shows us that they're on a journey to Jerusalem. Pretty easy to decipher the, the destination. Matthew begins chapter 21 with the phrase, as they approached Jerusalem. Jesus and his disciples, they're on a journey. And they're on a journey that is both planned and deliberate. They're on a journey that is both planned and deliberate. Matthew notes something just a few chapters back in chapter 16 when he wrote this. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem. Matthew 16, verse 21. This is planned. This is deliberate. It's something they've been headed into for a while now. And Matthew begins to narrate this story from that point on. <coughs> Excuse me. Back in chapter 16, Jesus and his disciples were in the region of Caesarea Philippi. In chapter 17, they move on to Galilee and then on to Capernaum. In the beginning of chapter 19, we're told that Jesus then left and went into the region of Judea and onto the other side of the Jordan. Their journey continues. And in chapter 20, we're told that they're going up to Jerusalem. And later in that same chapter, 
Matthew notes that there was a large crowd following them as they were leaving Jericho. This whole journey is narrated by Matthew. And I I think it's important to remember a couple of things about this. Because it's hard sometimes for us to put ourselves into that storyline. But this journey for Jesus and his disciples, this was not a fast-paced journey. They didn't have cars or trucks or buses or trains or bicycles or, or anything. What did they do? For the most part, they walked. So this journey that it's describing for us, it's not a fast-paced journey. Also, this journey for Jesus as in his disciples, it wasn't a short one either. Um, I looked up some of the distances, if you will. And this deliberate journey that began in chapter 16, as Matthew notes, began in, in or near Caesarea Philippi. That's about 105 miles from Jerusalem. And as they walk through their journey, Capernaum is about 85 miles from Jerusalem. The Jordan River, it's about 20 or 21 miles from Jerusalem. The city of Jericho is about 15 miles outside of Jerusalem. And Bethphage was about a mile outside of Jerusalem. This was a long journey, and it was on foot for the most part. And this brings our story today right to a very specific place, And it sets the stage for something amazing. With a little over one mile left on this journey, Jesus makes his final preparations to enter Jerusalem. Now Matthew has not recorded any earlier visit by Jesus to Jerusalem. That was real interesting for me to think about. We know from other gospels Jesus has been there before. But in Matthew's story, this is the first time that he is pointing out that he goes to Jerusalem. So throughout his entire gospel, Matthew is preparing us, his readers, for this climactic visit of Jesus to Jerusalem. Palm Sunday. This is the first day of what will be Jesus' final week, and the great Passover festival is about to begin. And Jewish people, they'd be coming to Jerusalem from all over during this week-long celebration to remember and to celebrate the great exodus from Egypt. This is where Jesus has set himself up for his entry, for his arrival. And after all, Matthew is really just reporting on what happened. And it's, again, hard for us to imagine a scene like this. It's something foreign to us, and it's hard for us to put ourselves into that. Can you think about that and put yourself into the scene that day? Have you ever wondered, what must it have been like to be there on that day when that happened? Because something different and amazing was happening on that particular day. And this little video clip that I'm going to show, it portrays one of Jesus' followers as he describes being one of the disciples on that day and the atmosphere around this triumphal entry on the first Palm Sunday. Let's take a look. Okay, let me get this out of the way. I didn't steal that donkey, okay? I, I borrowed it. And, and it wasn't even my idea. Jesus told me to take it, to, to, to borrow it, right? Um, okay, this is, this is how it happened. Um, earlier today, there was a large group of us, and we were traveling from Bethany to Jerusalem. 
We stopped just outside the city, and Jesus looked at two of us, and he said there was an unridden donkey just inside the village and asked us to go get it. He said if anybody, you know, asked us about it, we could just look at him and say, the Lord needs it, and he'll send it back. So the two of us beat it into town, and the whole time we were like, what is Jesus going to do with a donkey, right? But by this point, we realized you don't second-guess Jesus, right? He hadn't told us why, and we didn't ask. We just got him a donkey. And when we got back, <laughs> that's, uh, that's, what it, uh, that's what it happened. Um, some people put their coats on the donkey, and Jesus got on the donkey. And um, <laughs> when he got on the donkey, like um, everyone started shouting and dancing and singing and um, some people were throwing their coats in front of the donkey there, there was there was a, some of us that grabbed some palm branches and we started waving them in the air and that's when it clicked Jesus had finally arrived and, um, I know that sounds weird that's it no, it's, it's like this. Um, in the past, we would get excited because Jesus would do something, a miracle, or he, there would be some parable or something. He said, we'd get excited about it. And Jesus would always be like, shh, come on, guys. No, 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 nope. Just be quiet, you know. And then we'd come up with some idea. Hey, let's do this or let's do that. And Jesus would, would be like, no, guys, no, not, not now, not now. But today, <laughs> today was now. Today, he finally let us shout and sing and dance and treat him like the Messiah that we'd all been waiting for. He finally showed up. <laughs> ah, I don't know. Um, I don't know what tomorrow holds. Um, it feels like it's something big, but who knows, you know? But it doesn't matter what happens because Jesus showed up. And there, <laughs> there's nothing better than when Jesus shows up. <laughs> there's nothing better than when Jesus shows up. And you could say, as he said, this is the day where Jesus showed up. Jesus had walked all the way from Galilee. And surely he didn't need to ride a donkey for the last mile. So why the donkey? Why now? Why the crowd? Why the hosannas? Matthew is drawing out these messianic implications about the Messiah. Remember, Matthew began his gospel giving us the first messianic title attributed to Jesus, the son of David. This title provided a, a pretty major link between the Old Testament and the Messiah who was just born. And it, it enabled early believers to grab onto that promise, as I mentioned earlier, that there would be a king from the line of David on the throne in Israel. But Matthew is just reporting about Jesus. 
So it's really Jesus who is giving the answer to our question for today. Who is this? And Jesus declares his answer in a way that is different than expected. It's Jesus who actually makes the declaration. So let's watch Jesus make the declaration. Matthew wants us to see him. And as we begin Holy Week this week, I want, I want you to focus your attention on Jesus for Palm Sunday. And to see that Jesus' actions declare his kingship. Jesus' actions declare his kingship. That's what he's doing. But he's doing, doing it again in a, in a way that was different than what the people of that day expected. He declares his kingship by how he rides in on a donkey. You see, Jesus rides in on a donkey. And as Matthew explains this, he uses a quote from the prophet Zechariah, chapter 9, verse 9. It's right in his text. Jesus chooses to act out the fulfillment of this prophecy and to declare his kingship by riding into Jerusalem on a donkey. And all those around him, they're drawn in to the arrival. The disciples are first to be drawn in. The colt, it had never been ridden before, so some of them threw their coats over it because it didn't have a saddle. And this action of placing their, their cloaks on the donkey before Jesus rides it, it, it symbolizes majesty. That's something that had been done before. It wasn't new. Um, especially when kingship was being declared. Not necessarily every time, but one example you can find is when uh, Jehu was declared king of Israel back in 2 Kings chapter 9. They put garments over the animal that he rode in on. So the disciples are the first to be drawn into this arrival. The crowds, they're next to be drawn in. The, the crowds were already gathering on this stretch of the road, about a mile outside of Jerusalem, going into the city for the Passover festival. And the crowd's spontaneous celebration, it, it honored Jesus as they spread their coats on the road ahead of him. And some had even said behind him. And as they cut branches from the trees and some of those went on the road and, and some were spread in his path and some might have been waved in the air. And interestingly enough, this part of Matthew chapter 21, this is one of the few places where the gospel writers record that Jesus' glory was recognized while he was here on earth. So why the crowd? Matthew wants us to realize that this was an impressive event, not just a small group of people. This moves out and beyond just Jesus and, and his disciples and his followers. And the shouts of the crowd, they declare that he is Messiah. The shouts declare he is Messiah. Why? Simply because of what they are shouting. The crowds cry out, Hosanna. We even sang it today, as we tend to do often in worship, but also especially on Palm Sunday. The crowds cry out Hosanna, and they chant words that come actually directly from Psalm 118, verses 25 and 26. Hosanna, and blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And why these phrases? Again, they come right out of the last of what are known as the Hallel Psalms. Psalms 113 through 118. And these psalms, these were chanted verbally at all the great festivals of Israel. The crowds all the time would chant these psalms out loud. And Hosanna for most, it is an Easter word, and, and rightly so. We hear it and we imagine this scene that we're talking about today. Palm Sunday, Jesus riding in on a donkey. 
palm branches in the air, some on the ground. And these are correct. And, and Hosanna appears right here in Scripture. It's a word of adoration that we sing and that we say. But it translates more directly as the idea of, of save us. And aside from the word's actual use here in the New Testament, we can find traces in places like Deuteronomy chapter 20. And as I mentioned also in Psalm 118. And the Hebrew root words come right out of Psalm 118 that are quoted. And there, there are two words. The first is yasha, which means to deliver, to save. And the second is ana, which means to beg or to beseech. And so these two combine to, together to form the one word that in English comes out as Hosanna. And literally, Hosanna means, I beg you to save. Please deliver us. Hosanna was originally the cry of people that were desperate. And they would cry this out towards the person that they saw was going to be their hero. And by Jesus' time, it signified that the one they were hailing was the one they were expecting to get rid of the Romans to free them and save them. So it originally has this more political meaning. So as Jesus rides in on a donkey into Jerusalem, the crowds were perfectly right to shout Hosanna. They were acknowledging Jesus as their Messiah. This was also shown in the specific address to him as son of David. Their Hosanna included Hosanna to the son of David. They were crying out for salvation and recognizing that Jesus was able to save and Jesus is able to save. One of the songs we sang today called Hosanna. The lyric gives that same sentiment. We sang Hosanna. You are the God who saves us. Worthy of all our praises. And the author of this song that we sing. He puts these lyrics in the present tense. Hosanna is a cry for salvation. And that's exactly why Jesus came. The people were sure that he was going to liberate them from Rome. They didn't really understand where Jesus' kingship was going to lead him. Who is this? He is their king. The triumphal entry is a very clear and purposeful act. Jesus enters Jerusalem right at the moment the crowds are gathering for the beginning of the Passover festival, a festival designed to celebrate God's saving act in liberating his people and as he entered Jerusalem, he lets the people greet him as their king. And in his arrival, he's saying, yes, I am king. And that's what the prophet meant. Behold your king. But Jesus rides in on a donkey because Jesus himself has an altogether different disposition. And I think it's important to note this disposition in the storyline. And what is it? The donkey, it represents meekness. You see... A conqueror would have ridden in on a war horse. So Jesus lets them greet him as their king. But he is saying, I am gentle. I am humble. I am not coming on a war horse. I'm not coming carrying a sword or a rod. I am not coming to slay anyone. I'm coming to save. And today is that day of salvation. And Jesus very intentionally himself acts out the fulfillment of Zechariah chapter 9. And he declares a humble, gentle, saving kingship. And he invites people to receive that. And on this first Palm Sunday, Jesus arrived as king, but not by the crowd's definition. 
He provides opportunity for people to honor him as king. But he did so with an animal that underlined humility rather than power. He did this to focus on the scriptural teaching about the Messiah that emphasizes aspects of humility and service rather than emphasizing aspects of power and authority. And this was his understanding of what it means to be Messiah. Because Jesus wants to transform Israel's understanding as he emphasizes humility. He wants to transform their understanding of Messiah as he emphasizes humility. And like many of the Old Testament prophets, Jesus acts out symbolically his messages. Matthew emphasizes Jesus' symbolic act was about to show something, that he is Messiah indeed, but a Messiah whose triumphal route will lead to humility and to suffering, not to a show of force in overthrowing the government. And Jesus was showing how he fulfills these Old Testament expectations, but he will later do so by taking on and fulfilling the role of the suffering servant. And you know what he does? He lets all other messianic titles be seen in that light. He's the suffering servant as the king. And in this way, Jesus fulfills the role of the true king of Israel, that of a servant and a shepherd. He's fulfilling this role as a servant and a shepherd. And by doing so, he removes the political overtones usually associated with these messianic titles and reveals their true meaning as God's redeemer. This triumphal entry into Jerusalem, it was an enacted parable, a dramatic way in which Jesus proclaims his Messiahship, riding in on a donkey, fulfilling prophecy like Zechariah 9.9 in detail, right at the outset and the beginning of the Passover celebration, entering Jerusalem with the crowds. It's no wonder the whole city was stirred up. Remember, verse tells us that the whole city was stirred. And that verb for stirred, it's often used to describe an earthquake, showing that this dramatic arrival of Jesus, it caused a great commotion. The word literally means shaken. It's where we get the word seismic from. We can also look back and remember that this is not the first time that Jesus' arrival on the scene had caused a reaction like this. Matthew had mentioned something else back in chapter 2. When Jesus was born and the Magi come searching for him and they visit Herod and they ask about the location of the king of the Jews, the very next verse tells us this. Matthew chapter 2, verse 3. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. And all of Jerusalem with him. Once again, at his triumphal entry, Jesus caused a great disturbance in this city. And who is this? came the reply. Who is this? One of the other songs we sang today is about this very idea. Here is our king. The lyric and the chorus of that song, if you remember, is this. Here is our king. Here is our love. Here is our God who's come to bring us back to him. He is the one. He is Jesus Again, Jesus arrived as king, but not by the crowd's definition. Their perspective was really limited 
to their immediate historical moment and context in history, they wanted a political messiah. Messiah, excuse me. They wanted Jesus to liberate them and save them from the Roman authority. But Jesus insists on remaining a more timeless savior. They couldn't see beyond this Roman occupation. But Jesus saw the needs of the world held hostage to sin. And I recently read something about a week and a half ago in, in getting ready for today in this message that I think has some great truth to it. And an author wrote this. Excuse me. We reduce God when we demand his attention only to our concerns. Yes, God wants us to bring our daily concerns to him, but he refuses to be just a private deity. We can be confident that God can meet our daily needs when we have a clearer picture of his greatness. I like that last line. We can be confident that God can meet our daily needs when we have a clearer picture of his greatness. This triumphal entry on Palm Sunday included a number of aspects of worship and respect. People shouted blessings to Jesus. They shouted Old Testament phrases of praises to God. Some people waved branches or they placed them on the road. Many removed their coats and they spread them either on the colt or under the colt's hooves to be walked on. The people rolled out the red carpet for Jesus. And their spontaneous worship sometimes puts some of our worship to shame. A genuine relationship with God should find expressions of worship beyond and outside of our normal structures and worship services. Think about that. For you and yourself, do you use hymns and choruses in your own private times with God? Do you look for opportunities to give thanks to God? What does Hosanna mean to you? If it's a cry for saving, what does that mean to you? What is it in your experience that would be similar to taking off and spreading your coat out on the ground for Jesus? And I would encourage you to think those through and to make sure that your worship includes some actions, some tangible expressions like that. They're probably going to be different for each and every one of us. But think about that, especially today on Palm Sunday and as we begin Holy Week. I do agree with the person who said, there's nothing better than when Jesus shows up. And today, Palm Sunday, Jesus showed up. So who is this? This is our king. This is our king. And again, slightly changing the lyrics from that song. This is our king. This is our love. This is our God who's come to bring us back to him. This is the one. This is Jesus. Let's pray together.